right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from somewhere outside of Sacramento. That's right, Northern California. Here I am, right back where I started from. And uh, California, I'm looking out the hotel window. It's sunrise here. I see some beautiful mountains in the distance. Maybe the Sierra Nevada. I really don't know um, because I'm here on a mission. And my mission is not to know everything about this place, uh, not to be in love with it and to feel its pains and sorrows totally. Of course, to give it the respect that it deserves. Uh, all peoples, all places deserve respect. And, and I try to give places respect, but I still have to be focused on my mission. And my mission here is to help uh, drum up support for uh, Hebron, for Israel for a key place in Israel, and actually a key project right now, which is the rebuilding of the guest house, uh, the refurbishing of the guest house that we're doing right now. And so therefore I'm on Shlichut, and now uh, I am on Shlichut also from the Director General of the community, Uri Karzan, and so therefore I feel kind of empowered to to get stuff done because I'm on Shlichut for you know, a project that somebody else's brainchild, uh, and at the same time one that I see the, the, the great importance of. And so I flew out here for a week, and this was after having prepared for and executing, helping execute. Right, exactly. You can't, you're not an executor. You, you help execute. You do your, you execute your parts, right? Uh, because there was a lot of moving parts, and I was a part of, of the moving parts of the beautiful visit by David Friedman and Mike Pompeo to uh, seven or eight holy sites in Eretz Israel, including, of course, Hebron, which they spent three or four hours at. And that took a lot of logistical work. There was two choppers that landed, uh, and there was three uh, video crews working at the same time. So it was, it was quite an affair, and we had to feed them also as well. So it was quite an affair, and, and many, many hands were part of it, including uh, Ye'ela at the Hebron Museum, and Yaron, the the uh, the um, caterer, and also uh, Rich, the security guy from uh, from the State Department, and just all kinds of stuff had to be managed. And it was really really cool. It was fun, not to mention the the TBN crew, and dealing with the, with the with the actual uh, content, uh, and being even on camera for a bit. And advising David Friedman on contact, and, and meeting Mike Pompeo, and and also making sure that everybody in the you know in the in the in the network that I have are, are happy and met the person, and got the uh, got the photo, sh- you know the, uh, the the selfie or the picture. So there was a lot of moving stuff, and all of that was Bizrat Hashem in order to do Kiddush Hashem, which is to sanctify God's name through His book, through His story, the story of the Tanakh. Uh, and now, similarly, on the road uh, here, hopefully, to do a Kiddush Hashem, to help connect people to uh, the continued battle. And that's, that's one thing that I've noticed in my appointments here, is that uh, people sense clearly that there is a battle out there. Uh, and that battle is, is really for the soul of the state of Israel, uh, for its every parcel of its land, for... Um, um, uh, maybe a definition, maybe, maybe you know, uh, what is the Middle East, what is the character of the Jewish state, uh, and all the battles that rage around people who want to control those definitions and, and those tracts of land and, and, and want to control uh, the future because whoever, you know, uh, we try to uh, 
control the present so that we could shape the future. So that is uh, that is what's happening. I've uh, I, I didn't sleep a lot in in uh, two sleep cycles that my family in Eretz Israel slept. I uh, did not sleep in horizontally. I slept in various sitting up positions in various planes uh, because I flew to LA and then drove down to San Diego and then drove up here to I flew up here to Sacramento and tonight flying out to New York. So <laughs> it's been it's been it's been fun. And of course, I'm joined by the great. Uh, Rabbi Dan Rosenstein, uh, the director of the Hebron Fund, who's doing a great job out here and really brings people uh, a special connection with a special chen. Um, of uh, chen means like a kind of grace. So, and I just, uh, I just, uh, having slept five or six hours, I just woke up and had a cup of decaf coffee. I know, I know. Now, now there's two problems with decaf. First thing is that it's decaf, which means why are you drinking coffee? Well, it's because I like coffee, and I, the caffeinated coffee just sends me for a loop. But then decaf, decaf also, my mom says, has too many weirdo chemicals, and my mom's not a person to say that because she is a chemist herself. But when she says that, I have to believe her. But I had some uh, decaf coffee, be that it is in May, with a little bit of chocolate nougat um, after, saying, after saying the blessings on the Torah, uh, because you're really not supposed to eat before you pray. Uh, and so if you have to do that, you have to already pray some minimum stuff. And the sun is rising here. Oh, the nougat, the chocolate nougat is uh, from the Glot Mart in Los Angeles. So, you know, once you get to Los Angeles is like a, is like a, is like a watering hole for kosher. So you just get all your kosher stuff and then you go get to a place like Sacramento. Good luck. I mean, America is much easier to find kosher than, uh, than other places uh, around the world, but still. It's not like there's, you know, there's Los Angeles. That's where you got to pick up your provisions. And if you need to get to the rest of California, that's how you do it. Speaking of America, uh, there's a horrific story here about a shooting in Texas, uh, which I, 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 I'm, I, you know, I saw at last reports that they're reporting 19 dead. I saw earlier that it was 14 dead, so I'm not sure. Uh, and then there was also the Buffalo murder, which was 10 dead, I think. And... Uh, and I don't don't get me wrong. I please do not get me wrong. I do not for one second minimize the body count or minimize the the incredible pain and horror, horror, sheer dread and horror that uh, that these incidents have on the family and on this nation. Um, and um, I don't mean to in any way be cold. It's just that I have my own problems, my own country, and, and its own needs. Um, and um, but I am looking at it, and I'm here, and and so that mean, that also means something that Hashem has put me in this land right now, a land that's knowing this pain, and asking these questions, and and I guess I I will say that I have noticed recently uh, that there is a similarity between the U.S. and Israel, in that people don't want to look things in the eye; they want to find mechanical. Uh, mechanical solutions and make problems seem mechanical. What do I, what am I what do I mean? I mean to say like this: here here in the U.S., the question immediately goes to gun ownership, or the uh, some kind of you know some kind of like left right split about you know ra- racism and uh, and all kinds of questions like that. And the more fundamental question of of why do Americans shoot one another? And what they would need to remedy that, like in a deeper psychological sense, is, is never asked. And I think one of the one of the reasons is really 
the, the word that I learned in college was ennui, like a kind of boredom, a kind of boredom. And I really feel that America, when you're here, you are amazed by really how blessed this land is. And, you know, you could, you could, you could agree or disagree, but for me, it's pretty obvious. I'm like, the land is blessed, the, pros- the prosperity is blessed, the opportunities are blessed, the, 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 the massiveness of it, the good culture that it's founded upon in certain ways. And um, in many ways, <clears throat> it's just a blessed land. <clears throat> and I think that I think that nobody talks about waking up, waking up in the morning and thanking God for this gift. Nobody thinks. Nobody talks about well, if we got this gift, then what are we supposed to do with it for the world? Like, there's no mission here. It's it's just a kind of it's a kind of like there's no, nobody wants to discuss the question of mission. And if they had mission. And if this was a mission-driven nation, it would be healthier. Uh, if, if it had external enemies, it wouldn't shoot one another. People shoot one another because they can, because they're bored, because they're, they're self-involved, that they want to glorify themselves in some way, or because they have like an inner anger that they don't have any, any uh, limitations on. Uh, and, and, and just, it's basically when you devalue others you devalue others because you yourself are devalued you become loathsome to yourself some way and you just want to lash out and destroy yourself and destroy others and the remedy for that is being deputized to do something to make this world a better place but sometimes sometimes in america with all of its blessings you don't know that you can or should yearn to make the world a better place it's like it's like there's never a discussion of of, a, of a, a grander mission. And therefore, instead, they go inside and they start to destroy everything that already has been achieved and, and, and start to blame things that need not be blamed. And so, therefore, you know, it's, it's basically a lack of inner values, a lack of inner self-possession of what you need to be doing in this world. Uh, it's just kind of, it's humdrum. It's, it's, everything is just set out for you. It's a little bit boring, even. And you just freak out because because you don't understand what the purpose of life is. You don't have a drive, and so therefore I, it's so ironic because I feel myself to be so driven in in this um, in this situation that I find myself in, and to to achieve something. And I feel like the the murders that are happening around us, God forbid, are are because of a lack of of that drive. But similarly in Israel, uh, with the death last year of forty five worshippers. Uh, by trampling uh, in, in in the worst civil you know accident that Israel's seen, uh, one of the worst civil accidents that Israel's seen, um, the discussion was not where's our tshuva, where's our repentance, where's our love for one another, where's well, maybe we should slow down uh, our our the, the way we operate. And I must tell you an, an unpleasant story, which is I, I'm in the airport in in, in Tel Aviv. And I'm in the, like, you know, golden business line uh, for El Al. And three ultra-Orthodox gentlemen cut into the line, cut me off, which was, I was like, are you, like I was the last guy in line, and they just get in front of me. And I was just, like, looking at them. And then, and then one of the, uh, one of the, and it's like, a, it's like a line of, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like it was overt that they cut me off. And then, and then a guy, like, one of the, uh, 
Halal workers comes and he's like, you guys aren't, you can't get in, go to this line. You're from American Airlines business. That's not El Al. You've got to, I've, are we already told you? You can't like pass the line faster by going to El Al's line. And they like begrudgingly like left the line. And I just, I yelled out to them. I'm like, bye. I like waved at them. They looked at me and they saw what I meant, which was like, what is with you guys? Like, what is this with this culture of like cutting other people off and not having respect for other people and... And when I was in Mayron last year, I saw that culture, uh, that 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 um, what's the what's the English word for it that they say uh, uh, privileged, a kind of privileged culture, of like cutting other people off, trampling other people, being very harsh with other people, just trying to get your thing. And so, so this year, when a year later came, I saw that discussion was all about is the state of Israel doing this or that, allowing this or that. Will they, you know, will they allow this many buses? All the all the all the dealings with regarding to that memory were all technical, were all mechanical. Or who's to blame? Was it the state or was it this or that? All kinds of. Nobody wanted to say, "Hey, wait a minute. Maybe we acted badly. Maybe we've lost, you know, Avat Israel, and that's what we should have like this year." The, the, the year after should have been a dedication of a somberness. You can't just celebrate with music and all that after a year after you killed 45 people with your own feet. You got to take a second. You got to take a second and, and, and process and, and heal and take a moment of silence. And don't just find blame. I, I was very, I'll tell you the truth, I was very disappointed because I, I thought to myself, that's, that's the way we, we want to like handle our own internal problems, just sweep on, under the rug. So I was uh, disappointed in that, and and I f- again think that sometimes we prefer to look at you know external mechanisms for blame rather than an internal uh, uh, accounting of our of our spiritual and social behavior. Um, okay, so <laughs> I just, I just remembered a story, but I just don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. In any case, I hope I will at some point. Um, in any case. Um, here I am uh, at this hotel room pacing back and forth the sun is rising and uh, the day is beginning and I do pray for the United States to have healing and, and to find meaning through this and to, and to not allow itself to just only talk about you know gun rights or not gun rights but to ask a deeper question which is what's going on with the spirit of this country and same thing with Israel we have, we have to look in and the same thing with this Israeli government which is like you know, is it allowing Jews to be to be injured all the time? And and yesterday I saw a horrific picture that just turned my stomach and broke my heart, which was of a young boy with his forehead sliced open, almost to the skull. Uh, a little boy uh, who had rocks thrown on him in Chawara, close to Shechem. Just such a just a such an awful incident. And it's almost Jerusalem Day, <clears throat> and. And Jerusalem Day is the Day of Liberation. And I must say that in the ebbs and flows of history, you have ups and downs. And I do think that in some ways we are upper, we're more up than the 1967 Six-Day War. There's more Jews going to the Temple Mount. There's more Jews in the land of Israel. There's more people learning Torah. There's there's definitely, uh, you know, a, uh, a love of Israel and a consciousness of... Uh, uh, of the great return and God's great gifts and there's a lot of that but there's also a lot of regression and retrograde motion a reversal of so many of the great achievements of the Six Day War uh, the narrative has been eroded against us around the world 
and Israel is way smaller than it was um, in the six day after the six day war. And so the, the Israel that I know today is you know richer, uh, has mightier weapons, but is also smaller, and also on the run, narratively speaking, uh, around the world. So we have uh, this Yom uh, Yom Yerushalayim, which I'm going to be here in America. And uh, I'm missing all kinds of cool stuff in, in the United States, all kinds of in Israel, all kinds of cool conferences and, and things that are that are happening. But I will be part of a Yom Yerushalayim celebration here on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to be emceeing a big event uh, that's going to be raising uh, money and charity for it and support for all kinds, all manners of uh, Jerusalem organizations. Jerusalem-based organizations. So basically, it's an effort to strengthen Yerushalayim and strengthen the connection to Yerushalayim uh, from from here. And I'm going to be in New York, hopefully, Bezrat Hashem. So, in many ways, I must tell you that it is uh, it is kind of moving to be uh, fighting for the connection to Yerushalayim all the way from over here. And there's a lot of people around the world that need a connection to to Yerushalayim, and certainly American Jewry. Uh, if they disconnect from Jerusalem, that'll be that'll be. That won't be. We we have to make sure that that connection is strong. So I'm excited about that, and I'm excited to raise money for that as well because um, I've come to a conclusion that that uh, kibbutz galuyot, the ingathering of the exiles, happens in a few different ways. It happens when when souls are born to Jewish people in the land of Israel, and uh, you know somebody dies in a, in America, somebody's born in Israel. That's that's the ingathering of the souls. Um, and of course, the the plainest aliyah, like nefesh benefesh, you know, getting on that airplane and, and changing your life to Israel. And another uh, kibbutz galiot and gathering of the exiles actually happens when money uh, of Jewish efforts and Jewish wealth or lovers of Israel gets moved to the land of Israel because money is known as damim, is known as bloods, and, and it is because money makes the world go around. Uh, just and 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 that's like blood that circulates throughout the system and treats every place. And we should be so thankful for our blood. We should be so thankful for all of the blood getting to all of our different parts. We should be so thankful for our heart and our brain and all these things that are the greatest gift that the greatest physical gift that we get that our soul gets because the greatest gift is to be alive to have a soul. Um, so raising funds is also a way of actually bringing somebody's hard-earned neshama their blood, their efforts to the land of Israel. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to connect people to, to Yerushalayim, Yerikodesh. And today on the Mount of Olives in my old neighborhood, which I uh, love and still miss very much, uh, on the Mount of Olives, uh, there's a dedication of a new uh, synagogue, of a new Beit Knesset. Um, and that's going to be the Beit Knesset of the neighborhood of Malaz, a team. It's very exciting. It's a very beautiful building. Uh, and uh, we've seen it developed. And who knows, maybe Shai and Malka will end up back on the Mount of Olives. We'll see. Um, it's, a, it's a special place for us. Um, thank, thank Hashem. Thank Hashem for the land of Israel. And, and as I'm talking with you, I'm really visualizing. I'm, I'm here in a hotel room in Northern California, and I'm, I'm visualizing the Mount of Olives and visualizing Yerushalayim and Hebron. And um, I'm just so thankful to have even the smallest role to be able to see it be built. Really. The smallest role to just see it be built in our time and to <clears throat> to have a part in it to have just a part in it and that's what we ask God give us a give us a just a, a a part in your 
in your Torah. Give us a, a small role. And if you give us a role in developing the land of Israel, uh, it's just the it's just the greatest gift. And uh, I have this hood of working on on uh, on Hebron and my friends Ari and Jeremy on uh, working in uh, on this beautiful farm in Hilltop, uh, the Arugot farm, and uh, many of my other friends working for the city of David, for Gush Etzion, for the Shimron, for the tomb of Joseph, for making a new newspaper like uh, JewishPress.com or or JNS.org both supporters of the show. Um, and of course, what am I going to say to you? If you're listening this far, you, you know that we got to all be part of it together. And I also want to thank my my good friend uh, and listener, Andy, who um, helped beautify the uh, the lighting at the tomb of Ruth and Ishai. And we just put in such a beautiful new Aron Kodesh and beautiful new lighting that added so much when the electricity just is, is normalized and uh, and and flowing beautifully, you know things that here in America you take for granted. Everything is so kind of well apportioned around here, uh, but in Israel we have uh, we have we suffer a little bit more challenges when it comes to that. Let's take a little break and hear from Ben Bresky, who's got a very interesting article for us about Rabbi Gorin, Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, and the Six Day War. So thank you very much, Ben Bresky. Take it away. This is a moment in Jewish history. Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, 1917-1994, served as the first head of the military rabbinate of the Israeli Defense Forces and later was elected Chief Rabbi of Israel and awarded the Israel Prize in Literature. He participated in the liberation of the Old City of Jerusalem in the Six-Day War in 1967. One day later, he liberated Hebron. The following is an excerpt from his book, with Might and Strength, the Autobiography of Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, translated into English. I decided to be there when the IDF liberated Hebron. I thought there would be a big battle, like there had been everywhere else, because if the Jordanian Legion had fought for Bethlehem, they would fight even harder for Hebron, which was a large city. I reached Gush Etzion at 1.30 a.m., There were armored corps units, a company of jeeps, infantry, and all other forces that we would need, except for the Air Force. Lieutenant Colonel Svika Ofer and the forces with him were planning to set out toward Hebron at 6 o'clock in the morning. As part of the preparations for going into battle, I asked the commander if I could speak with the soldiers. He answered in the affirmative and said he would assemble his entire brigade at 3 o'clock in the morning. At the appointed hour, the soldiers assembled on a small hill near the vehicles, and the commander handed me the megaphone. This is what I said to the soldiers. Dear soldiers, today we liberated our nation's Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, the Temple Mount and the Kotel. Tomorrow we are going to liberate the second holiest city in Eretz Yisrael. You are going to liberate the Jewish people's city for the patriarchs, which is the foundation of the kingdom of David. King David ruled for seven years in Hebron before he ruled in Jerusalem. You are going to fight against the worst and wildest murderers. They carried out pogroms all over the country and killed 164 fighters right here where we are now, after they surrendered and laid down their arms. There is no absolution for that. Know how to behave with them, and in the name of the Lord, take action and succeed, and go from victory to victory, from the victory in Jerusalem and Judea to the victory in Hebron.
As dawn approached, the soldiers started organizing for their departure. At 6 a.m., I went out onto the road to look for Svika Ofer's battalion, but I didn't see anyone there. I thought they might have already left, but the line of tanks was still there. I thought that perhaps he had taken the first tank and gone toward Hebron to get there first. I told my driver that we should advance toward Hebron regardless of what the battalion was doing. There was my vehicle and the military rabbinate jeep that escorted us. On the way we met the battalion's reconnaissance company and passed it. We turned on our vehicle's siren and everyone let me pass. Suddenly my driver said, Rabbi, we're the first ones here. There are no soldiers ahead of us. The entire brigade is behind us. We could get stuck in Hebron alone and who knows what they'll do to us. Drive on, I told him. When we drew closer to Hebron, I saw white flags waving over all the houses along the way. I realized that there was no war here. There wasn't a single Jordanian flag, so there was nothing to fear and no reason to be afraid. We were entering Hebron as victors, without a war, and without having fired a single shot. There's a Jordanian flag from the third floor of one of the houses, my driver said, as we drove past Hauhul. They might fire on us. Take the Uzi and cover me, I said. I'm going up there to take down the flag. My driver said they might kill me, so he would go. You're still young, I told him. You still have to build a home and a family. I've already lived my life. I'll go up, and whatever happens, happens. One of the drivers accompanied me to the second floor, and from there I went up to the third floor. I reached the flag and took it down. Salam alaikum, I said to the tenants. I took the flag, and they didn't say a word. We advanced toward Hebron, and when we entered the city, we saw that all the houses along the main road were festooned with white sheets, hung from all the balconies. The Hebron municipality and the military forces in Hebron had decided on a self-imposed curfew and ordered that no one leave their homes. I wanted to inform them that the IDF had already conquered Hebron, even though at this stage the IDF force was only me and the jeep. There was a podium in the middle of the city where a policeman usually stood, directing traffic. I mounted the podium, took the Uzi, and fired a whole magazine of bullets into the air to notify the residents of the city that the Israel Defense Forces was inside the city and we had captured Hebron. My declared goal had been to be the first to reach the cave of the patriarchs. In my mind's eye, I still saw the incidents that I told you about regarding my visit to Hebron back when I was still engaged to Sivia, how we reached this place and the Arabs' reaction to our arrival, and about the British policeman who suddenly appeared like the prophet Elijah and saved our lives. I saw an Arab boy of about 16 or 17 standing at one of the windows. I called out to him to come down to me. Where is the grave of our Avraham Avinu? That is what the Arabs call the cave of the patriarchs. I shouted up to him, but he replied that he was afraid to come down because of the curfew. He wouldn't be able to get back home. I promised him that my driver would bring him back, and the boy agreed to show us. We reached the site and began to climb the stairs toward the gates on both sides of the building, at the top of the two staircases. I climbed to the top of the staircase on the north side where everyone prayed, and I saw that the gate was locked. Ifta el-Bab, I shouted in Arabic, open the gates. I heard voices inside. Mefish maftuach, they said, we don't have a key. If they don't have a key, I thought to myself, how did they get inside? 
I knew there were people in there, and the gates were closed from the inside with bolts. They had 36 keys, and they were holding on to them. I began firing hundreds of bullets at the gates, but they didn't budge. To this day, you can see the holes I made in the gates, which the Arabs call Rabbi Gorin's holes. Years later, they tried to fill in the holes so there would be no trace of our liberation of the cave of the patriarchs. I phoned the governor of Hebron, and he sent an officer to stop the holes from being filled in. For three hours, we tried to break down and open the gates, but without success, until I heard the sound of a tank approaching the site. That was the first tank that entered Hebron, and it was adorned with an improvised flag, a sheet on which the soldiers had drawn a blue star of David. The soldiers had taken the flag from David's citadel. Here's what had happened. During the liberation of Jerusalem, there was no flag to hang on David's citadel. A Jewish family from England lived nearby, and the wife gave a white sheet to the soldiers and told them they could draw a star of David on it. At first, this improvised flag was hung on David's citadel, and after several hours, it was taken down and hung on a tank that would be the first to enter Hebron and reach the cave of the patriarchs. There was a small flagpole on the main gate in front of the cave of the patriarchs. We drove the tank up against the wall beside the gate, and from there I climbed onto the tank's turret and hung the flag at the entrance to the compound. Many pictures of me hanging the flag were later published in Israel and around the world. We wanted to break through the gate to the cave of the patriarchs. Despite the hundreds of bullets I had fired, we had not managed to dislodge the gate. When the tank arrived, I saw the soldiers had a crowbar. My driver and I put the bar into the gate and we worked it off its hinges until the gate fell to the ground and we could enter the cave of the patriarchs. We saw two Arabs inside, so scared they were trembling like a lulav, and one of them was holding the dozens of keys to the gate, even though they had shouted to me from inside that they didn't have any keys. My driver went over to him, took the keys, and we went into the cave of the patriarchs where I blew the shofar. I took the Sefer Torah that I had brought with me and read the weekly portion of Chaye Sarah, which relates how Abraham bought the cave of the patriarchs from the sons of Chet. It was still early in the morning, and we were able to daven shacharit there. That was the first time, after generations, that Jews were freely inside the cave of the patriarchs. This excerpt has been from the book With Might and Strength, the Rabbi Shlomo Goren Autobiography published by Magid, edited by Afi Rath, translated by Miriam Blum. All right, thank you very much, Ben, for that excellent report. Last week's article made my brother Josh cry uh, because of the historical uh, significance of lighting uh, the the Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai fires in Meiron. And thank you very much for your discussion today, Ben, about uh, Rev Gorin. I want to also thank uh, Tabitha Ben Bresky, Moshe Herman, Yocheved, and uh, when I go live, Lou, uh, for for the show, and for getting the show out to the world. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, and I was saying that um, before the alarm took uh, took my mind to a different place, uh, I was just saying that so many good people are, are, are working to uh, strengthen the project. Wherever you are, of course, there's easy ways for you to connect as well to our our uh, our uh, our uh, um, show sponsors, uh, including uh, the Israel Bible, find, found at the Israel Bible 
Yishai.com, and you can put in coupon code Yishai, get your own The Israel Bible. It's a wonderful product, and every every home should have it. It's something you're going to be proud of, and something that's going to sanctify God's name in your home. So that's awesome. That's The Israel Bible, TheIsraelBible.com. And some Prohibition Pickle. I'll be honest with you, it would be really nice if here in Sacramento, I would hear a knock at the door and get some delightful Prohibition Pickle, uh, a meal uh, from uh, from my friend Chaim, who makes just uh, delightful and uh, lit uh, uh, Shabbos food and Ashkenazi revival food. Uh, and uh, myself could really use a nice... And I think I'm going to try to get it when I'm in New York, that kind of stuff. I'm going to get myself a nice salami sandwich. That's that's right. You can laugh at me all you want, all you anti-salami people. I don't care. It's just something I like, okay? that's And I don't have to explain it. It's just something I like. That's just the way it is. So I'm going to get myself some Prohibition Pickle when I get back to the land of Israel. Or maybe or maybe if I'm in New York, I'll have to do it the old school, the Altaheim way, and just go to like a New York-style deli. Uh, and of course, the Hebron Fund, hebronfund.org. And we are beaut- refurbishing right now a guest house that's going to be able to hold 60 people at a time. It's going to be an incredibly important site for, um, for visitors to Hebron. There's many other good things happening in Hebron as well, um, including the refurbishing and re-beautification of the tomb of Ruth and Ishai. And if you want to be part of that, then just go to my website, Ishai Fleischer. Dot com and go to the donate page. Um, and also, of course, if you love the show, uh, buy me a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai. Okay, um, just one more thing before I sign off. Uh, and I appreciate your indulgence. It is five, no, it's actually 6 30 already in the morning. And I'm walking around uh, my hotel room in my pajamas and socks, but I got seat seat on. And I also want you to know that I always take a wash cup uh, because I love doing the tilat yadaim, you know, the way you're supposed to wash your hands, even when you're in hotel rooms. I don't like to use cups and stuff, so I have a little wash cup. It makes you feel Jewish, and that's what we try to do when we're on the road. Um, um, let's just talk about uh, one last thing, which is uh, a beautiful verse. Oh, so, so, so guess what? I got a little bit messed up by the Jewish world because I'm going to be missing the hearing of the Torah portion in Israel, and it's not the same Torah portion. I'm getting a redo, a redo of Bechukotai, which is a great portion that I love very much. So it's good to, to do that, but at the same time, to miss the first uh, Torah reading of the book of, of, uh, of Numbers is, is a bummer. Numbers is the worst named English uh, book, because, you know, the first chapters start with Numbers, okay, and but to call the book Numbers is kind of... I don't know. It's missing the point. As I always say, the book of Numbers is the book of Jewish politics. We're going to get into it. So first you start counting the people, and then you start dealing with politics of the people. That's what the book of Numbers, Bamidbar, is about. But if I have to be stuck here in America and miss uh, Bamidbar, for uh, the, the first Torah portion of Bamidbar, which is the Torah portion of Bamidbar, then, um, okay, so be it. Uh, because I can listen to Bechukotai twice, and one of the greatest verses in Bechukotai is the following verse. It's chapter 26, uh, verse 42. et briti Yaakov. I shall remember my covenant with Jacob. Ve'afed briti Yitzchak and my covenant with Isaac. Ve'afed briti Avraham, Eskor, and, uh, and also 
with my covenant of Abraham, I shall remember, and I will remember the land. This is meant to say that even in the darkest hours, God will remember his covenants, and remember the land of Israel, which with, with whom he also has a covenant, says the... Uh, says uh, the, the Ema Banim Smecha, that God has got a covenant with the land just as he has a covenant with the forefathers and mothers. But I just want to point out one t- table Torah thought for you, and with that we'll end, and that is the following. Um, the Balaturim, which is a commentary that I like so much on the Torah, says s- something so interesting. He says, why does the word Zachor memory not appear by Isaac. It says, I'll remember my covenant with Jacob and with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. So the word covenant appears with, with, um, with, with Abraham and Jacob, but not with Isaac. Why is that? So the Baal Turim says that according to the Kabbalah, when Isaac was at the binding, it's like he was actually fully offered. And it's like his, he was actually burnt up as an offering to God. And so his ashes are continuously right before God. The, 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 the sacrifice of Isaac, the death of Isaac, is right before God at all times. And therefore he doesn't need the word memory because that's, it's built in that he's always remembered. So that's very powerful. And that's also a very powerful testament to all of the bodily sacrifice that the Jewish people have had to endure throughout the ages. God, God remembers that pain. God sees that the, the, the Holocaust and the very various holocausts and it's and it's set before him always. So that's why Isaac doesn't have the word memory, because indeed God always sees the pain of the Jewish people and that sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, on the other hand, um, the Balturim says that uh, Abraham and Jacob have the word servant of God, of the Yaakov. And Avram, you know, about Avram also that he's my servant, and it never says that about 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 Isaac. Why doesn't it say that Isaac was God's servant? Uh, but it says that about Abraham and Jacob. So he gives us such a, a, a surprising answer, such a surprising answer. Surprising answer, he says, is that Abraham and Jacob both served God within the land of Israel and also outside of the land of Israel. They serve God also in the hardships of the exile. And so therefore they are known as God's servants because they got to serve God either in the land or outside of the land. Isaac, who was like an unblemished sacrifice, was not allowed to leave the land of Israel and therefore didn't get a chance to serve God outside of the land of Israel. And therefore he is, doesn't have that, that accolade of servant, of Eved. I think that's very interesting. It goes to show you also that the exile has in it uh, a gift, which is the ability to serve God and, you know, without that straight connection, without, you know, walking in the land. There's something, there's something also in, in having to endure exile to come back and to see the beauty of it. And there's sometimes something that's missing, and we see that even in Israelis who are just Israeli born, uh, which is a greatest, such a greatest uh, uh, level. Uh, at the same time, sometimes you become less worldly and you, you don't see you know, the, the bigger horizon and you don't know how to serve God in the fullest way. Um, and so, so first thing, this is a testament to the depth of the Torah, which you know, shows us why Isaac has a, a great advantage and yet has you know, a, a certain disadvantage, a handicap. And it shows us that, the, as my mom said to me, that, that experiences shape us 
uh, and experiences can be taken for good and for bad, and it really depends on how we behave from it. And so the experience of, of Isaac has good sides and, you know, lesser strong sides, uh, and it affects uh, our life and our service of God. So may we merit, if we are outside of the land of Israel, may we merit to serve God and, and ask Him to bring us to the land of Israel, to a connection to the land of Israel. And if we're inside the land of Israel, may He open our eyes to see things broadly and see things how they can be how the land can flourish, can be created properly, how there can be Jewish rule in the land of Israel, that the Jewish state will be proud of its Jewish heritage and, and be a, a place of God's abode and not a place that pushes God away. Um, and um, the last thing I want to tell you is that I, speaking of Prohibition Pickle, I saw this movie uh, that just reminded me of the issues we were talking about, which is called, I, f- I finally finished it on this flight. Uh, I saw this movie called American Pickle, which I thought, by the way, was a very good movie. I give it very high marks as a movie. Uh, I thought it was good and funny. Uh, and at the same time, I wish there was a part two, which is, you know, uh, that the uh, Herschel goes to the land of Israel and starts to understand what it is to be a Jew in the land of Israel. It's American Pickle is very much Tevya, the milkman, redone in our time. It's a, it's a continuum between... Uh, between Fiddler on the Roof and American Pickle. Uh, and I thought to myself, but there needs to be, you know, the American uh, Herschel. Herschel from Poland goes to America and now comes to the land of Israel. That would be the, the real next step. In any case, folks, uh, from this beautiful sunrise here in uh, Sacramento, California, Northern Cali, uh, I wish you, uh, and I'm, you know, and, uh, and I always have a song which, which takes me on every trip. I try to think of the song of the trip, and I couldn't think of a good one this time, so I just, was just like, I'm going back to Cali. 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 I think some of you will know, right? I'm going back to Cali. Hey, yo, I don't think so. So that was, yes, uh, you could laugh at me, but that was a little LL Cool J uh, <laughs> that, that, that took me back here to California. Sometimes some culture from our youth comes back up. In any case, I want to wish you lots of love and lots of blessings from uh, this good land. And, of course, from the land of blessings from Eretz Yisrael, uh, which we look forward to all coming back together. And I, I, I am with you. In the, I have the schut, the, the merit to be with you here in the, in the diaspora, in the, in the exile, and outside of the land of Israel, and, and, and therefore strengthen the yearning for the land of Israel. And, of course, for, for, for God and His story that resides in Yerushalayim, Yerikodesh, on this uh, Jerusalem Day and Hebron Day which the next day after Jerusalem Day is the liberation of Hebron but really the liberation of Jerusalem is the liberation of the land of Israel Hebron and all of the holy places uh, because Jerusalem is the pinnacle of, the, the, of, of all that uh, connection between godliness and this uh, physical world that he created alright folks more great stuff is underway thank you very much to Moshe Herman Yochebet Tabitha uh, Moshe Herman oh Ben Bresky uh, and Lou and Malka Fleischer, which I spoke with this morning, and all the good folks that make it happen. And thanks to you for all of your love and your time. Lots of blessings, and may we be reunited in Yerushalayim, Irakodesh, in the land of blessings. God bless you from Sacramento, and Shalom. My name is Jeremy Gimpel. A few months ago, we started an online seminar teaching life-changing biblical wisdom revealed from the original Hebrew and straight from the mountains of Judea. What started as an online seminar has grown into a global fellowship with hundreds of members from over 30 countries. I don't know how you found this or what compelled you to click on that link, but I don't believe in coincidence. And I would encourage you to take the next step 
on your journey toward the land of Israel. Instead of learning the Bible as a religion, it's the Torah of Israel, the living guidance of God. So please join us for our next online gathering. Just click on the link below or email fellowship at thelandofisrael.com. 